<laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. You are listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 2. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author P.D. Williams. Tonight we have Mysterious Appointments, House Flipping Disasters, Motels with mayhem afoot, and small places with sinister surprises. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the dare, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you, as always, for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> we'll begin tonight with a fellow who is eager to please. You need him to do it. You'll get it done. He always delivers. But perhaps a singularly specific request may be too much for him to handle. Without further ado, I present to you, Don't Be Late. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye. I'm late, I'm late, I'm... The White Rabbit from Alice in Wonderland. Late, thought Brian as he sped from his third-floor apartment. He pressed the on button at least 20 times, as if the 23rd try might be the charm. Once in the elevator, he quickly pushed the button for the lobby. He started jabbing the button with violent intent when the elevator doors wouldn't close immediately, the way they do on those science fiction shows. The elevator became a trampoline as he jumped up and down on the floor. Finally, after what seemed to him like an eternity, the doors opened so slowly that they seemed to be outright sadistic. Brian erupted onto the sidewalk that was filled with the daily parade of the white-collared undead. He then started power-walking at the pace of an outright jog. He preferred to walk to his office. Buses were too slow, and hailing cabs in New York City was a hit-and-miss proposition. Shortly after moving to his posh Manhattan apartment, Brian had planned out the quickest and most direct route to the Miser building. 
It was where the prestigious company of Tyler, Milford, and Drake had made their executives rich and happy by making select clients even richer and happier. There, Brian was hailed as one of the most gifted efficiency experts on the East Coast. He was hired on April 11, 1991, by Walter Schimmel, the director of human resources. He quickly ascended the corporate ladder to a staggering height where he handled all the essential and lucrative clients. Brian remembered every number, person, and place with impressive detail. And so it was just another day when the prospective new client strode curtly into Brian's nicely appointed office. Being very detail-oriented himself, Brian was impressed with the man's outward appearance. He wore a neatly pressed black suit with creases so sharp that you could use them to slice salami. His simple but tasteful necktie was expertly nestled into the crisp collar of a brilliantly white shirt. His matching black Italian shoes were polished to perfection. His hair was expertly sculpted to a handsome face that exuded intelligence, sophistication, and confidence. His posture was ramrod straight. His gaze was intense, but not threatening. After cordially introducing himself, Brian offered him a chair, but the man declined by saying, let's see what happens next before I take a seat. The curious visitor introduced himself as Neelan Murphy. He said only that he operated an expansive company that had dealt with countless clients from all walks of life for many years. He added that his company had expanded to such a degree as to require a good bit of creative and efficient reorganization. He went on to speak of Brian's well-known reputation for meticulous planning and dispassionate decision-making. But he said Brian's penchant for achieving results with precise punctuality and well-reasoned forethought impressed him the most. He then offered a challenge to Brian. If you can demonstrate for me that you can deliver a project exactly on time at an agreed-upon location, I can assure you we will be doing business together for a very, very long time. You, Brian, will be my guy. Although Brian was a tad uneasy by the man's reluctance to share any more details about his business, especially its name, he was excited at the prospect of putting his skills and reputation on the line to win a challenge successfully. Why, it would become the stuff of corporate legend. Let's hear the challenge, Brian said eagerly. The rules are quite easy to understand. It's the finish line that will be nearly impossible to cross. Oh, I think you might be surprised, if not astonished, by my unique skill set. All right, then. Are you familiar with the Lower East Side of Manhattan? Oh, I'd like the lines of my face, bragged Brian. Ooh, cooed Murphy. I'm impressed with you already. Some people might think of your statement as arrogant at best, or forward at worst. I think we'll just call it moxie. Okay, then? Man said as he walked around, surveyed the two chairs in front of Brian's dark mahogany desk. Once he selected his favorite, he sat down. Murphy casually crossed his legs and then pulled and straightened the left cuff of his trousers. He allowed a short moment to pass, before he spoke as if he was carefully choosing 
the most cogent and succinct way of explaining his directions. Slowly reached into the inner pocket of his jacket and extracted a small cream-colored envelope about the size of an invitation that would come in. Is that invite for me? Joked Brian. Yes, I suppose it is, Murphy said with a slight laugh. You meet my expectations, that is. I'm listening, Brian responded. Very good, Murphy said as he abruptly sprang from his chair and began purposefully pacing back and forth a few feet from Brian's desk. I want you to deliver this envelope to me at a building located at 104 Beaumont Street at precisely 11.09 a.m. on Tuesday, May 11th of this year. That's three weeks from today. If you're not standing directly in front of that building with this important missive at exactly, and I mean exactly that moment, you will have failed this assignment. If that's the case, then I'll have to move on to a more talented and ambitious individual. And you'll wonder, for who knows how many years, when or if you'll ever have this opportunity again. Brian tried not to let his face reveal the massive doubt that had broken off a small crumb of his bravado. As they say on the awards show, the envelope, please, Brian said as he leaned forward over his desk to take possession of the envelope. Despite demonstrating some theatrical flair, Murphy slowly and stiffly extended the hand where he held the small envelope between two beautifully manicured fingers. Brian, too, paused for a few seconds with an equal amount of dramatic panache before gingerly pulling it from Murphy's outstretched hand. Then Murphy smiled, turned, and began heading for the two large hand-carved wooden doors of Brian's spacious office. Just before Murphy made his exit, Brian asked loudly, So, to who do I give the envelope, or do I just leave it somewhere? Neither, said Murphy. You open it and read it when you arrive, and not before. The final and the most important directive will be printed on the card inside. Follow it. Don't follow. That's up to you. The main thing is that you're where you've been instructed to be when I've instructed you to be there with that item, he said, pointing to the small envelope that Brian held. Remember the terms of our agreement? Be directly in front of the building at 104 Beaumont Street on Tuesday, May 11th of this year at precisely 11.09 a.m. with this delivery. No earlier, no later. Got it. In the vault. Brian beamed as he pointed to his brain. Outstanding. Oh, one more thing. And this is, of course, is entirely your decision. You might want to keep this little test of your acumen to yourself rather than bragging to your colleagues. After all, what might they think of you and your inability to meet an important deadline on the off chance you fail? Food for thought. Food for thought. I'll see you soon. Oh, and just for the record, I'm hoping you pull this off. I so want to be impressed. I can't tell you how amazing it would be to have a man with your highly pronounced abilities on board. Good day, Brian, and good luck. After Murphy left, Brian immediately began to map out his necessary departure time. The most efficient and barrier-free route 
and his must-meet arrival time. This task would represent the culmination of all he had learned from childhood through college and his years as a practiced and accomplished professional. He felt more excited and exhilarated about the job than he'd been in a long time. For him, it was the challenge of it all. He still remembered the mantra his father had taught him as a boy. Early is on time. On time is late. And late is, why'd you even bother coming in in the first place? Except for this time, that old adage wouldn't be helpful. He couldn't be early. He couldn't be late. He had to be there on time, down to the absolute nanosecond. What was it? 11.09 a.m.? Not 11.08 or 11.10. It was an exact time in a specific place. Up until the morning of the delivery, he'd get up around 5 a.m. Stopwatch in hand, he'd stand in front of his office building to walk the route while timing it. He repeated this ritual three times before heading to work each day. It took him more than two dozen tries before he figured out the exact speed that he had to walk to arrive at the agreed-upon time. He was more than a bit doubtful at first. When the day of delivery came, he took some time to relax, so his anxiety and adrenaline wouldn't force him to lose focus or to move too quickly. Ready, set, go, thought Brian as he leapt off the lowest step of the building where Tyler, Milford, and Drake were housed. He walked at the prescribed place he embedded in his brain to the point of muscle memory. He followed his road down sidewalks and alleyways with commitment, determination, and focus. Now there are only two blocks to go. Keep at this pace. From this point, it should take you 47 steps before you reach the doorway of the flower shop, Brian's mental coach reminded him. It's been said that men plan and God laughs. Such was Brian's misfortune when, just before reaching the flower shop, a couple walked out unexpectedly. Brian couldn't avoid the collision. The man was pushed back a little, but the woman with him lost her balance and fell down. Brian himself had nearly tripped over. The man started yelling at Brian, but all that Brian's mind could register was, Crap! Why'd this happen now? You idiot! screamed the man. How long has it been since I hit them? Sue you for everything. Relax and check your stopwatch. Where the heck do you think you're going? Brian had to do some quick calculations. I know I should step up onto the curb at 14th Street at 11.07. I'll jog over there and wait on the curb until my stopwatch shows that time, he thought. Once back on the schedule, Brian's mind began to slow down and relax. But the calm dissipated as soon as it occurred to him that he couldn't remember if he'd put the envelope in his coat pocket before leaving for the office. He was passing landmarks on his road at precisely the right time, so stopping to check for it would only complicate things. He made the decision to keep walking while checking his pockets for the envelope. His mind was racing and panicked as he hoped he was sticking to his well-timed pace while simultaneously clawing through his coat. It turned out that Lady Luck was one sweet bomber because Brian finally found the irksome envelope. He clutched it tightly in a white-knuckled death grip. Brian could hear his heartbeat in his ears as he spotted the building about 50 yards ahead. He hadn't eaten any breakfast due to his nerves, and now he was feeling a tad queasy and lightheaded. 
His mind started becoming both friend and foe. Thirty yards. What if I don't make it? Ten yards. What if I do? Six feet. Look at the watch. Three steps. 11.09. I made it! Brian yelled out loud. Whew! Brian exhaled. Glanced down and realized he still had the envelope and promptly started ripping it open. So, Brian said through a cocky smile, Where am I going, you pompous jerk? Inside the envelope was a thick card that simply read, Congratulations. Now join me over here to discuss your future. As the half-ton girder dropped directly on top of him, Brian's smile became a wide-open mouth of stupid confusion. Traffic screeched to a stop. People screamed and gawked at the pulverized sidewalk in front of 104 Beaumont, where a man of impeccable timing and execution had just stood triumphantly. Across the street, Brian was confounded and afraid as he inexplicably appeared beside a handsome gentleman in a perfectly tailored black suit. Murphy smiled as he continued to stare at the lad and grisly seen across the street. Wow, I am impressed. You were right on the mark. You know, some people disparage the perpetually tardy by saying they'll be late for their own funerals. But not you, my friend. You, sir, are truly the man. I'm glad you accepted the invitation to join my company. I told you we were growing. You there to help with our ongoing expansion, I'm confident we'll be able to service the many for a very, very long time. Murphy grinned with satisfaction as he placed his arm around Brian's slumped and trembling shoulders. And then they were gone. I hope you enjoyed Don't Be Late by P.D. Williams, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscurrypodcast.com slash pd-williams. That's simplyscurrypodcast.com slash pd-williams. His short stories have appeared in anthologies such as Scare Street, most notably Night Terrors, and I'm sure you'll find plenty to scare you by going to his website, pdwilliamsauthor.com. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave PD a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Gyre sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. So, I guess that was a little open there at the end. Was his little test a good thing or a bad thing? Rest assured, though, whatever he does in his next life, he may take a few moments to be as punctual as he used to be. We all have our house issues, broken drywall, rats in the walls, those floorboards that won't lay flat after the appraiser went mysteriously missing. But sometimes, the last thing a house wants to have is its problems fixed. 
take the house of a mysterious artist and its latest owners, a pair of house flippers who are finding the task at hand more difficult than they first thought. Without further ado, I present to you New Bones. Ryan and Nicole Sullivan parked her SUV in front of the badly weathered Victorian house. They'd purchased the old home sight unseen at a bank auction for pennies and a dollar. Unbeknownst to them, the price reflected the house's curious history. But as successful home flippers, they knew a good investment when they saw one. The Haycock House had been painstakingly planted almost a century before by an eccentric painter named Reynolds Haycock and his wife Abigail. Unlike the other homes in the area, the house had exuded no charm, warmth, or life. Because the newly planted vegetation had yet to take root, the yard was devoid of color and form, accentuating the bleakness of the property. At the house's peak were two red-stained attic windows that resembled a pair of fiery eyes, always open, always burning. The home's ominous presence unnerved anyone who walked near it. It was like a spider's web disguised as a house. It didn't welcome, it beckoned. From the start, the Hickoks had kept to themselves. They'd offered their neighbors little more than harsh glances and unreturned waves. Their window shades remained drawn day and night as if they were trying to keep secrets in. The neighbors seldom saw them anywhere beyond their property. The couple had milk and groceries delivered once a week and left on their front porch. To maintain the upkeep of the property, they hired transients via an ad that they'd posted at the rail yard offering free room and board. Several months elapsed, before anyone noticed that no one could recall seeing any of them come out of all the hired hands who'd entered the house. Rumors of foul play began to circulate about the odd and mysterious couple regarding the disappearances. Then, amidst the growing threat of police scrutiny, the Haycocks inexplicably vanished. No one noticed them moving out. They told no one where they were going, and no one saw or heard from them again. Their belongings, too, had vanished. The authorities had found an oil painting of the couple, left hanging in the drawing room. A subsequent investigation had turned up no evidence regarding the vagrants. Over the years, at least a dozen people had purchased the house to sell or to inhabit. None stayed there for more than a month. Like the original owners, they simply up and left, each leaving the vacated house to fall into foreclosure. And now, here were the Sullivans, the enterprising young couple who believed more in a reasonable return rate than they did in scary stories. Ryan and Nicole leaned against the side of their SUV and stared up at the house for a moment, taking in its full measure. Ryan was grinning like a big kid full of excitement. He marveled at the imposing house with its period architecture, ornate wrought iron fencing, and fully matured yard. Nicole was wary. She saw an abandoned property with peeling paint and a battered roof that was going to suck their budget dry. I don't know, babe. I'm starting to think we might have bitten off more than we can chew with this one. Something feels off about it. We may have just bought ourselves nothing but a big old headache. 
Well, you know what they say, Shug. Go big or go home. Speaking of big, let's hitch up our big kid pants and go see what we're dealing with. Ryan gave Nicole a quick peck on the cheek before bounding up the walkway to check out his newest toy. The sun-cracked wraparound porch creaked in time with their steps. Cobwebs and wasp nests hung down like warped chandeliers. Nicole put the key into the lock and pushed open the heavy front door. Dust motes danced in the brilliant sunlight that was concentrated through a window like a theater spotlight. A musty odor greeted them. It smelled like an old trunk that had been opened after many years. Elves, bells on Easter bonnet, Ryan remarked as he surveyed the old-fashioned grandeur of the aged house. He craned his neck to take in the fifteen-foot-tall ceiling that topped the spacious entrance. Dark mahogany floors flowed as far as they could see. Ahead on the left, Ryan and Nicole admired a spectacular winding staircase. It resembled the decorative vine as it snaked its way along the wall. Carpeted steps paused at a small landing before winding their way upward again. The neglected floors that had welcomed them continued beyond a solid oak archway that looked as if it had been pulled from an artisan's dream. Nicole couldn't resist running her fingertips over the masterful carvings. Hell's bells indeed, she muttered to herself. She turned to Ryan and said, I'm going to go check out the rest of this you take the other ones. Roger that. As Ryan ascended the handsome wooden staircase, Nicole walked forward under the archway and into a large dining room. The big open area was surrounded on three sides by floor-to-ceiling windows, which allowed the entire space to be bathed in rich sunlight. A posh wrought-iron light fixture dangled from the ceiling's center. As many arms curled and supported frosted globes, making it look somewhat like an elegant octopus juggling bright orbs of light. Despite the chamber's shabbiness, Nicole pondered its promising potential. The dirty work site currently surrounding Nicole was incongruous among her mental pictures of a sophisticated setting. Tools and building materials that the last flipper and his crew had left behind were strewn everywhere. The scene resembled a worksite where the crew had left for lunch and never returned. From there, she entered a kitchen painted in dreary gray. Nicole figured it was probably the original color, judging by its sad condition. The gritty floor crunched under her feet as she inspected the cracked and faded cabinetry. A cold blast of air kissed the back of Nicole's bare neck out of nowhere. She touched the spot and turned around. She didn't see an obvious source for the draft, such as an open window or air duct. She shrugged it off and moved on from the kitchen. The last room she visited was a drawing room. It was the most opulent space yet, with its hand-carved oak wall panels and intricately patterned tin ceiling, from which hung a beveled glass chandelier fit for a castle. Six stained glass windows were divided evenly among three walls. A pair of French doors opened out to the back portion of the wraparound porch, giving a view of the unkept backyard. The long, neglected area was thick with grass and saplings. Nicole thought it looked like a dying cornfield that someone had left to fend for itself. 
The room's focal point was a large stone fireplace. It was crowned with a sturdy, hand-hewed wood plank, adding to its grandiosity. Cole imagined the powerful fires that had filled the stately room with great light and warmth. Then she noticed the picture hanging above it. Its majestic presence enthralled her. It was a large oil painting of an older man and woman. The signature on the bottom right-hand corner indicated that it was a self-portrait. They were dressed in period clothes that looked to Nicole to be from the early 1900s. They sat stiffly in two beautifully upholstered wingback chairs. The duo exuded an austere countenance with facial expressions that lacked any sense of love or joy. At the woman's feet lay a fluffy white cat that looked as indifferent as the people. So you're the infamous art freaks, Nicole said. Ain't you uh, the party animals? Upstairs, Ryan discovered similar scenes of abandonment. There were wooden floors that had been sanded but never finished. He found several doors stacked neatly in the hall. Ryan entered one of the bedrooms to look for damage. As he poked at a deep hole in one of the walls, a shadow of a man appeared beside it, causing him to jump back. He turned. No one. When he looked at the wall again, the silhouette was gone. Ryan's arm here stood on end. Easy does it, dude. Lots of shadows in this old place. Let's just get out of here. Ryan trotted out of the room and into the hallway. Suddenly, another form stepped in front of him, causing him to skid to a halt. Cripes, Nicole. Scared to keep the fudge out of me. He was breathing hard and sweating. I scared you? Good Lord, Ryan, you nearly steamrolled me. What's wrong with you? You're whiter than an albino in a snowstorm. Ryan took a few seconds to recover. Once he regained his composure, he became embarrassed and defensive. Uh, Nothing's wrong with me. I was trying to get away from a couple of wasps. Quickly changed the subject. Would you find downstairs, or should I even ask? Well, we'll have to check the basement, the foundation, the plumbing, and the wiring. But as far as I can tell, it's got good bones. It just needs a few new ones. I have to tell you, though, it looks like one of those Wild West ghost towns down there. This place was bustling with construction, and then poof, it's deserted. Yeah, same thing up here. I guess the guy ran out of money. No pay, no workers. Okay, but if the construction crew isn't getting paid, why would they leave their tools and building supplies behind? Those things ain't cheap. Who knows? Want to check out the rest, he asked. That only seems prominent. Nicole replied with a hokey Old West accent. As they headed downstairs, Ryan cast a nervous glance over his shoulder. After completing the initial inspection, their next task was to set up a temporary camp upstairs in the main bedroom. With a project of this magnitude, they preferred to stay on site because it saved them the expense of a lengthy hotel stay and allowed them to keep the place secure. It only took them a couple of days to bring in a contractor familiar with projects such as theirs. Todd Blake came highly recommended by some of the top-tier realtors in the area. After meeting with Ryan and Nicole, he agreed to take on the lengthy and arduous renovation. 
He explained that he was at least two weeks out of his current job. Still, he offered up some suggestions for easy tasks that they could knock out in the meantime. Nicole had a group of chores already nestled in her head. For herself, she planned some mowing, pruning, and planting a colorful flower bed along the front of the porch. She decided to place Ryan in charge of doing something about the awful gray paint that made the kitchen look like a monochrome monstrosity. Nicole had something perky in mind, such as a vibrant yellow. Ryan obeyed Sergeant Nicole's orders to paint the kitchen. The following day, he drove to Pinehurst to check out a newly foreclosed property on a Parkland golf course. Such premium real estate didn't come on the market often, so he wanted to get first dibs. Nicole stayed behind to keep an eye on things at the Haycock house. With Ryan gone, the place was too quiet. The air felt cold and thick, and many of the rooms were dark despite their oversized windows. Also, seeing the rough condition of the house interior left her feeling overwhelmed and defeated. The pall over the place made Nicole's decision to work outside an easy one. The anxiety that Nicole had experienced inside of the foreboding residence dissipated when she stepped outside into the fresh air of the peaceful morning. The sounds of the birds and the swishes of the undulating tree limbs filled her ears. The day was warm, the ground was moist, and the shade felt exquisite. It was early morning, so she had most of the day to work on the new flower bed before the summer sun worked its way around to the front of the house. As she enjoyed its peacefulness, Nicole became lost in the motion of the work. She checked her watch and realized that she'd been toiling for hours. Jeez, Louise, no wonder I'm hungry. Nicole stood, bent her achy knees, and dusted the potting soil off the front of her shorts. As she rose, there was a flash of something in the corner of her eye. She glanced back toward the house. A large cat perched on the porch's top step was leering at her. Hey there, pussycat. The cat narrowed its eyes and hissed at it, like an angry cobra. Shoo! Nicole yelled. The cat rose and snarled at her. Suddenly, it turned and ran through the open front door of the house. Nicole took off after it. Once inside, she proceeded through some of the first-floor rooms, watching and listening for the furry intruder. Where'd you go, you little jerk? Nicole heard a growl nearby. She stepped cautiously through the freshly painted kitchen. She stopped to peek into one of the open cabinets. Here, kitty, kitty. Nicole froze at the voice, the cabinet door half open. Its tone was distinctly feminine, and it echoed from the drawing room. Nicole hoped that the call was from the cat's owner, who tracked it into the house. Please don't be an intruder. Of all the times for Ryan to be gone. Nicole's jaw quaked with nervousness. Who's there? Hello? The lack of response made her fearful that someone might be lying in wait for her. Realizing she couldn't hide out in the kitchen indefinitely, she worked up the courage to go and investigate the sound. Nicole followed the haunting call into the drawing room and found it empty. Despite being alone, she was skittish, as if someone might attack her out of thin air. She trembled. The porch, she reasoned. Maybe the backyard. 
She tiptoed to the doors that led out to the porch. Cautiously opening them, she leaned out and looked around. Seeing no signs of the interlopers, she relaxed a bit. She hoped that whoever had been in the room, she'd called out from the kitchen, had fled. Her adrenaline ebbing, Cole blew out a cleansing breath. As she was doing so, she glanced up at the portrait of the Haycocks. Something about it looked different, but she couldn't quite... Sure. Nicole jumped a foot as a streak of screaming fur blurred past her feet, heading straight for the front door. Nicole braked when she got to the top step of the porch. The cat had vanished. She left the porch and searched the yard, but saw no sign of it. Once she was satisfied that the cat had moved on, she decided to go back in and dig up some lunch. Despite the heat of the day, Nicole shivered. When she reached the foot of the porch steps, she saw that all of the new flowers were dead. It was as if the soil had poisoned them. Although she'd rationalized the phantom voice, she had no answer for the inexplicable demise of the once colorful blooms. The implications chilled her. What's happening around this place? Brian had gotten back earlier than expected, much to Nicole's relief. He picked up a pizza, two salads, and a bottle of Pinot Grigio on the way home, so they wouldn't have to go out and leave the house unattended. On his way in, he noticed the wilted flowers. Who planted these? The angel of death? As they stood over the makeshift sawhorse table eating their dinner, Ryan brought Nicole up to date on the property in Pinehurst. Nicole typically asked the host the questions. She was shaken and distracted tonight. Something up, hun? he inquired. You're not saying much. Did anything happen while I was gone? Nicole picked at her salad and considered the question. Nicole? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, no. She paused. Okay, maybe something weird did happen. It's probably nothing. Nothing worth talking about, anyway. Ryan set the slice of pizza down, then took a sip of his wine. I think it might be worth talking about. I've never seen you this quiet and tense. Talk to me. What happened today? Nicole related the entire cat incident to Ryan. She could tell by the way he was staring at her that he wasn't taking her seriously at first. But could he be blamed? As she spoke... And she became increasingly unsure of her story. To Ryan's credit, he listened to everything she was sharing. It gave her hope that, even if he thought she was beginning to get spooked in the shadowy old house, at least he might try to work through the events with her and make some sense of them. Are you sure you heard someone speaking, he asked. As clear as I'm hearing you now. And then there's the flowers I spent planting this morning. Yeah, I caught the sight of them on the way in. What happened there? When I couldn't find the cat, I walked back to the porch. I found them looking the same way you did. It totally freaked me out. So, what do you think? Am I starting to lose it here? That's a weird one, all right. I might walk around and talk with some of the neighbors and find out who owns the cat. What did it look like? It was all white and fluffy, a Persian, I think. Oh, like the one in the painting. Nicole's face slackened as it came to her why the portrait had looked different. 
She left the dining room and went directly to the drawing room, ignoring Ryan calling behind her. There above the fireplace was the portrait of the white person properly in its place. The mid-July heat in the Carolinas was relentless, the night air stifling and humid. Sullivan's bedroom windows were wide open and they'd set the ceiling fan to stomp. McCall was lying in bed, replaying the events of the day. Each recollection was like a ghostly hand, trying to pull her down into a dark lake. But even as the disturbing thoughts kept threatening to overwhelm her, Nicole remained emotionally tethered to her intense feeling of annoyance. With Ryan, despite everything, he still somehow managed to fall asleep effortlessly. It reminded her that he always got to play the charming, laid-back role, forcing her to be the hardline negotiator. That's right. You sleep well like you always do. I'll just keep on lying awake nearly every night, worrying about what'll happen when one of these investments blows up in our faces. That and ghost cats. As the night flowed onward, her resentment gave way to envy. How the heck can he sleep on this crappy air mattress in the sauna with that ancient ceiling fan while I lie here sweating like a whore in church? She flipped back and forth on the mattress as if she were strip of meat trying to be cooked evenly on both sides. But it meant that she wasn't dreaming when she heard the footsteps downstairs. Oh, dear God, there's a crackhead in the house. The sound seemed to be coming from the foot of the stairs. She nudged Ryan. Ryan, she whispered. When he didn't respond, she shook him. Ryan, wake up. Nicole could tell when the intruder had made it as far as the landing by the creak on the third floorboard. Ryan! Ryan! Get the hell up! At this point, she didn't care if the prowler heard her or not. What? He mumbled. Don't you hear that? The footsteps were coming down the hall toward them. It didn't sound as if the burglar was in a hurry to get to their bedroom. There was at least a full second between each plodding step. As he drew closer, they heard his shoes squeaking. What now? Iron said as he awoke to the realization that they were in danger. He propelled himself off the air mattress and rushed to lock their bedroom door. Then he ran back to Nicole, who was now on her feet. The footsteps arrived at their door. I got a gun in here, Ryan shouted. Leave or I'll shoot you. Dead. All he heard was the squeal of the ceiling fan. Hey, I'm counting to three, and then I'm coming out blazing. What should we do? Nicole whispered. Grab the phone and lock yourself in the bathroom. Call 911. I'm going to go check things out. Are you insane? Nicole asked, punching him on the shoulder for emphasis. Stay here with me. He may still be outside that door. Babe, if I don't hold this guy off, the only thing that the cops are going to find is two of us dead. Now go hide in the bathroom. A crow started to cry. Ryan, baby, please stay here with me. No, Cole, for once, let me handle this. Now go. Cole grabbed the phone and tiptoed through the bathroom, locking the door behind her. Her hands were shaking, making it difficult to press the numbers. As soon as someone answered the call, she said, Hi, I'm calling to report an intruder. He's just outside our bedroom door. She waited for the dispatcher to ask her name and address, 
but the person didn't say anything. Nicole was anxious and impatient. Hello? Is this 911? She tried twice more and got the same response. The only sound she heard on the other end was raspy breathing. She gasped and hung up. Meanwhile, Ryan looked around for something to use as a weapon. The only thing he saw with any heft was the large flashlight by the air mattress. Weapon in hand, Ryan crept to the door and put his ear against it. His spine tingled as he listened to the gruff wheezing on the other side. The sound reminded him of his uncle, Jerry, who'd struggled with emphysema. It was how he'd sounded at the end, like dry death. Ryan stepped back and braced himself for a confrontation. He took a couple of deep breaths, raised the flashlight, and yanked the door open. The doorway was empty. He stuck his neck out, looked up and down the dimly lit hall, and found it equally empty. Like a vanishing cat, he thought. Ryan, what's happening out there? Ryan had never heard such terror in anyone's voice before. It's okay, hon, just stay put. And for the benefit of the trespasser, he added, I think the cops are nearly here. His proclamation yielded no results, no running, no crashing, no sound. Ryan turned on the flashlight and shined it up and down the passageway, but still saw nothing. His head drooped as he let out a shaky sigh. He lowered his eyes and caught a quick shimmer on the floor near his feet. He stared. Footprints. They led from the top of the stairs to the bedroom door. Ryan stooped to touch the light-colored tracks and found them sticky. He stood again and began tracing them, following them down the hallway to the stairs. Ryan descended the dark staircase. The powerful beam from the flashlight illuminated the phantom imprints. The more he tracked them, the more slippery the flashlight became in his hand. He continued following the trail down to the main entrance. From there, he worked his way through the dining room, then the pitch-black kitchen, before ending up in the drawing room. The point of origin was the fireplace hearth. Goosebumps sprang from Ryan's flesh, and his teeth began chattering. He slid his socked feet across the floor till he was standing in front of the fireplace. He lifted the flashlight's ray to the portrait. At first glance, the portrait looked as it always had. He wanted to get a better look, so he inched forward until he was standing directly under it. That's when he saw the yellow paint around Reynold Haycock's shoes. I need a drink. Ryan shuffled to the lightless kitchen. He groped around until he located the wall switch and flipped it on. Someone had somehow removed the fresh yellow paint from the kitchen walls. A series of macabre events left Ryan feeling rattled. It took some time for him to collect his thoughts. Ryan, where are you? Nicole's loud voice startled him. In the kitchen, hon. She was about to walk in when Ryan stopped her. Babe, I want you to prepare yourself. Please, try not to freak out. I'll do my best, she promised. Nicole said nothing during her tour of the kitchen in the drawing room. She walked as if she was trudging through mud. When she finally spoke, she said, Oh my God, Ryan, what have we gotten ourselves into? I'm really, truly terrified. We have to get out of this house. I can't stay here another second. Let's go to a hotel or rent an apartment. I, I don't care which. 
Kohani, we can't afford that. We've got everything tied up in this house. Outside of living in the SUV, we have zero options. And there is no way we're living in that stupid SUV. Like hell we're not. Nicole grabbed Ryan by the wrist, led him outside, and directed him into the SUV. Ryan's pride was slightly sore, but at least Nicole had gotten him out of the house bores. A short time later, Ryan attempted to appeal to Nicole's sense of reason. Babe, what are we supposed to do now? That surprise real estate I checked out in Pinehurst looks really promising. But you know this business. We can't grab hold of any other properties while we're still holding on to this one. We'll get our heads kicked in if we unload this house now. Nicole, I know we're scared, but we have no choice. We have to make this work. Ryan, how bad will this get? This isn't some elaborate prank. All of the terrifying things that have happened to us are real. Think about it. The contractors, the work crews, previous owners. Why do you think we got this house so cheap? Everyone else took the loss and got as far away from this place as possible. Look, I'm no expert on the paranormal, okay? Maybe we can find a priest or a shaman or even a a voodoo doctor who'll come and bless the place. Ooh, ooh. How about a a TV show that'll sell some crackpots out here to stink up the house with loser's sweat while they pretend to gab with ghosts? Her emotional temperature was rising. She resented Ryan's condescending tone, so she decided to give him a taste of his own medicine. Just to make sure that an idiot like me can understand you, you're saying we should advertise that we have ghosts in this house. Oh yeah, that'll prompt some genius to buy it. All right, Nicole, what do you suggest? She mulled the question over. Everything that's happened has a common denominator. That creepy portrait, right? Why don't we just try getting rid of it? Let's burn the SOB like they do in the movies. If nothing else, at least we don't have to look at it anymore. Ryan perked up. I've got the matches. If you've got the fuel, go around the back and find a safe place to burn it. I'll be the hero and go in and get it. Works for me, Sir Dunderhead. And she's back, he said. Just go and get it already. Nicole retrieved the two-gallon gas cans from the rear of the SUV and hurried toward the backyard. When she got there, she waded through the knee-high grass until she got to a worn-down area that someone had used as a scrap pile. She picked through the trash for something to use as a dinging instrument. Eventually, she found a jagged piece of 2 by 4 that she used to dig a shallow hole. Ryan emerged from the drawing room and onto the back porch. He was holding the sinister portrait as if it were covered in poison ivy. Hurry, bring it, Nicole instructed. Ryan used the picture frame to push through the overgrown yard. As soon as he arrived at the impromptu fire pit, plopped the painting down into it and soaked it with gasoline. Then he tossed in a lit book of matches. As the picture burned, they could feel the stress gradually leaving their bodies. They watched the cursed object curl up at the edges as the ravenous flames consumed it. Once the fire had reduced the portrait to glowing ash, they took hold of each other's hand and reluctantly returned to the house. 
As soon as Ryan and Nicole stepped inside, they sensed a change. The air that used to press down on them felt lighter, and everything looked sharper, as if someone had adjusted an unfocused lens. You think it's finally over? Nicole asked. I have to say, something feels right about this place now. It's different from before, don't you think? It feels healed. Yeah, I suppose so. I just hope that Gomez and Marticia have moved on. Guess they just didn't want strangers changing their house around. She said, I can't say as I blame them, after all. They made this house for themselves. They poured their souls into it, every nail, every brick. That painting was probably all that was left to anchor them here. Then, Nicole looked at Ryan, who had suddenly become lost in thought. I can't help but wonder, he said. If anyone else ever thought of destroying the painting, if they did, they sure didn't stick around long enough to try it. So what do you say? Should we try another night? Are you sure? An hour ago, you wandered out of here. I know what I said, but I just want to know if this nightmare's finally over so we can move on. Agreed, Ryan said. Though the night had been uneventful, neither slept very well. Every minor noise had sounded to them as if it were heralding another march of the undead. They'd been glad when the sun had finally risen to rescue them. Better get started on the cleanup. Todd's work crew will be here next week, Nicole said. Why don't we just let them fix it? Ryan asked, yawning. Money, sweetheart. Money. We can do this. Listen, I think we still have some cereal downstairs. Grab the milk from the cooler, why don't you? Ryan and Nicole got dressed and then followed the ghostly roadmap downstairs. They checked out the drawing room, hoping and praying not to find the painting there waiting for them. Notwithstanding the yellow footprints, they were relieved to see that the portrait was still out of their lives, unlike in the movies. They entered the kitchen and enjoyed a relaxed breakfast. I'll be so happy once we get all that paint off the floor, Nicole said. It's what creeped me out the most. Oh, and speaking of paint, you know that you're going to have to paint this entire kitchen all over again. Any thoughts on color? I think I might go with yellow. It stands out so well, don't you think? You do, and I'll be repainting it with your brain matter, wise guy. Come on, let's get this knocked out. We've got a lot to get done today. They had only walked a few feet into the drawing room before they stopped cold. They were astonished to see that the footprints were gone. Where'd they go? Ryan asked. Frigid sweat slid down Nicole's bare back like cold, skeletal fingers. She was pale, her body limp. Ryan, her voice quivered. Do you see it? Oh, my God. He whispered. With great trepidation, they walked further into the room. Ryan took hold of Nicole's moist hand. Right here, babe. His breathing was fast and irregular. He could feel his heartbeat through his temples, as if it were keeping time with a funeral dirge with each pant. They turned together and faced the imposing fireplace source of their blind terror. The painting was hanging over the mantel, and it had changed. The haycocks were posed in a standing position by their respective chairs. 
Each of their faces was a horrifying rictus of rage. In a blink, they were closer to the frame. Their cracked lips were pulled back grotesquely, bearing small, jagged teeth. Then, like a flash of lightning, the savage creatures were at the very edge of the frame. Their eyes were crimson red, just like those belonging to the white Persian, hunched up behind Brian and Nicole, snarling. The front door opened, and the real estate agent led Frank and Helen Morgenstern into the vestibule of the musty house. And here we are, the agent announced with a grand flourish. Wow, Frank said. I hope the rest of the house has this much potential, added Ellen. The agent took that as her cue. Now, as I told you, there have been some attempts at renovation over the years, but it's still in need of some TLC. Nevertheless, with what the bank's willing to let it go for, it would make a terrific investment for folks like you, who are thinking of converting it into a bed and breakfast. Now, follow me. I want you to check out the focal point of the hole downstairs. The couple strolled around the impressive drawing room, taking in its regal decor's richness and its exquisite fireplace. So, who's this? Helen asked as she stood before the long, rustic mantle. Oh, them. Yes, I believe that's the Haycocks, the people for whom this house was built. Now then, let's see if I can remember their names. That's Reynolds, sitting on the left, and Abigail on the right. And as for the young couple holding the cat, I don't know who they are, but they sure don't look very thrilled to be there. I hope you enjoyed New Bones by P.D. Williams, as performed by Houston. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash pd-williams. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash pd-will. I-A-M-S. Be sure to look at Night Terrors, listen to other stories by him from our other sister podcasts, but whatever you do, don't go to pdwilliamsauthor.com, where you will not find further information about upcoming stories. Uh, I mean it, don't. Oh, you won't listen to me? Anyway, will you? As a reminder. If you do decide to give tonight's talented author stories a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. Be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program, that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure P.D. would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go... I'd also like to take a moment to thank you, personally, for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today 
and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast or our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, 
I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Ha ha ha!